and welcome to We the Young People, a podcast produced by the Young Elected Officials Network. We're your hosts, Alana Bird, YEO's Policy Coordinator. And I'm Michelle Landry, YEO's Membership Associate. In 2020, we're celebrating YEO's 15th birthday. Each month, we bring on YEO members who are working at the forefront of policy and change, highlighting a new topic and a new member each episode. If you'd like to be featured, please reach out. My email is a, B as in boy, Y, R, D as in dog, at PFA, like people for the American way, dot org, a bird at PFA.org. And that goes for any policy support or assistance that you may need. That's what we're here for. Additionally, you can find our podcast on Spotify or iTunes, as well as through our website, yeonetwork.org, and embedded in our monthly policy bulletin, which will be emailed out shortly after each podcast is published. Now, let's get to our topic for the month. Surviving in the Age of Coronavirus. This month, we sat down with Florida State Representative Chevron D. Chev Jones. Chev was elected to represent District 101 unopposed in 2012 and subsequently won in 2014, 2016, and 2018. Recently, in Florida's 2020 primary election, Rep. Jones won the Democratic nomination for Florida's 35th Senate District, encompassing parts of Broward and Miami-Dade counties. Prior to becoming a legislator, Chev served as an AP chemistry teacher in Broward County and then went on to teach at Florida Atlantic University High School. At FAU High, Rep. Jones led his school to be number one in the state for having a 100% pass rate on the science end-of-course exam. Chev is the founder and CEO of Lead Nation, one of South Florida's top nonprofit organizations for youth leadership development and social entrepreneurship training. Rep. Jones is also the founder of the South Florida Youth Summit, one of the largest gatherings of young people in South Florida. Chev is also very involved locally, statewide, and nationally. He is a member of the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, Leadership Florida Connect Class 32, Leadership Broward Class 27, the Council of State Government's Tolls Fellowship Program, and Millennial Action Project's Florida Future Caucus, and he was appointed by President Barack Obama to serve on the College Promise Task Force. Rep. Jones has been recognized with numerous awards and accolades, including a feature in Gold Coast Magazine's Top 40 Under 40, Legacy Magazine's South Florida's 50 Most Powerful and Influential Black Leaders of 2016, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation's Fort Lauderdale's Finest, a Congressional Political Institute honoree, ICABA's 100 Most Accomplished Caribbean Americans, Florida's Young Democrat of the Year, and Broward Parent Teachers Association's Legislator of the Year. In November of 2015, he was also elected as the state director for the Young Elected Officials Network. Chef has been able to bridge political division and pass meaningful legislation, even while being a member of the minority party. Some of Rep. Jones's bipartisan legislation includes two consecutive bills to secure dignity for incarcerated women, statewide expansion of a clean syringe exchange program, safety and oversight for athletic coaches for youth athletic teams, and ensuring transparency and accountability via police body cameras. We were excited to sit down virtually this month with Chev to discuss his views of the government response to the coronavirus pandemic in his district and how he's coping with this strange new world. Hi, Chevron. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with us. We're really excited to have you on our We the Young People podcast. I know you've been fighting hard in the wake of the COVID-19 virus for the people of Florida, so we're definitely interested in hearing your insights. Uh, So let's jump right in. First, can you tell us about the coronavirus outbreak in Broward County? Was the area hit hard or has it been lucky? 
And how quickly has the government and its citizens and your citizens been to react and take necessary precautions? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, uh, I really want to say that in June and July, Brown County was hit extremely hard with COVID. Um, and so hard that um, we began to shut things down immediately. Uh, and not only that, that even uh, during the process of Brown County shutting things down, uh, I myself uh, was diagnosed with um, um with COVID in late June, like June 26th, which took me a very long time to uh, recover. Um, we, as in within Broward County, uh, it took us a, um, a a minute to really understand what was happening, what needed to be, to be done. Uh, our mayor took immediate action, immediate action and to bring all the leaders to the table to see how do we keep our, our citizens safe. Right. And then we moved into going into uh, after COVID, excuse me, not after COVID, but during the time of COVID when it was time to kind of reopen up the economy. Right. Um, you know, I think a lot of people equated that with the idea that the virus uh, isn't as serious as we thought, but it was still very serious, just as we all were in the beginning. Right. And we had the huge spike of people getting COVID. Uh, so we're fortunate that our numbers are much less dangerous now, but I don't believe it was from government extension. Uh, they simply just promoted her immunity as our strategy, which is just going to call unnecessary damage. Um, tell us about reopening efforts. What steps has Florida taken to reopen in the wake of the virus? And how about the 101st district specifically? Um, so I began my efforts by writing to the governor about an eviction moratorium in March. Uh, the next letter I wrote in March details specific changes to our state prison policies to prevent COVID uh, spread among our inmates. Uh, the eviction moratorium uh, has been upheld, but the prison requests were not followed, and we have an inhumane situation in our prisons currently now. Uh, we tried to work with uh, the DEO on unemployment issues, uh, but also they have a host of issues. And we reopened in Florida much sooner than the, uh, the epidemiologists and the advisors do. No infectious disease experts played a role in our reopening. Only business professionals and elected mm -hmm. officials who will encourage reopening as quickly as possible. Uh, we should have waited more time and educated the public more on how um, to take those precautions. Um, and I guess the what effects have I witnessed uh, from the wake of reopening? Mm -hmm. I think the the virus spread. Um, yeah. I think you look at the if you, if you look at the numbers and um, how the numbers continue to rise. Uh, you know, from uh, uh, the, the business leaders, uh, they are suffering uh, right now. Um, you look at uh, our, our schools, our schools are suffering mm -hmm. right now, and you know, our communities are suffering right now. And so, yeah, I think that while we have reopened, you know, what good is reopening right now when no one can actually enjoy reopening because there's a fear that still remains. Right. And what actions have you taken to help your constituents during this time? I do know that in my in my district that we were hit hard, especially because especially considering that my district is a very um, uh, service driven district. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of service workers in this area. Um, many of them work in our um, our restaurants. Uh, many who work in um, our hotels, and many of them fell uh, were on unemployment. And our unemployment system here in the state of Florida um, that that faltered that affected more than more than a million people and a lot of those individuals resided in south florida uh, so we were helping our 
just because we're our employment claims. Uh, but we also knew that people were having a hard time putting food on their table. Yeah. And so we were doing a host of uh, food drives and food distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, even one food distribution we did, the line backed up into uh, into another county. Oh we were Broward, and the line of cars uh, lined always into Miami-Dade County. That's how uh, desperate people were to make sure that they were able to feed their family. So those those are some of the two main things that we did um, to keep our constituents uh, in knowing that somebody in in, um, in in their community or their leaders who are leading them uh, is, is there for them. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, this may be a dumb question, but do you feel like you've seen an uptick in constituent service cases since this has started? Or do you feel like people aren't reaching out to their government because they're afraid that they can't trust it? No, I think it's the opposite. I think people are truly um, reaching out to their constituent, I mean, to their elected leaders uh, at this time because this is the time when they are like, we voted for you. Yeah. Um, you have a seat at the table, and it is our expectation that you do what you said that you were elected to do, and that was to serve us. And so people, are, they have an expectation right now. Yeah, good. <laughs> and can you highlight your effort to get Governor DeSantis to waive evictions and utility shutoffs during the outbreak? Um, if you could tell us a little bit about the effort, how it's been received, and any plans on implementation, that'd be great. Absolutely. So I began presenting for that morator- about for the moratorium as soon as COVID began because I knew that uh, this was going to be a, a, a an issue uh, within the community. Uh, we had hundreds of thousands of people for uh, furloughed uh, of layoffs uh, with seemingly no unemployment check in sight. And so, how could we expect uh, people to have lost everything to lose their roof over their head uh, or even electricity next? Losing electricity, as you know, or not having food, you know, that can kill that can kill people. Yeah. And so we need to give people patience as they get as they get through the get through this uh, economic circumstance. It will have they're not only unfair but extremely dangerous otherwise. And so we begin pressing the governor at the beginning of this moratorium because now you have the people that have to choose between paying their rent and that put food on their table. Yeah. And uh, I know for a fact that many people do not have money saved like that to, uh, to, to to go into the time frame needed that we thought COVID was going to uh, take, uh, knowing that we're six months in now to where you have those, some of those same families uh, who are still struggling. And are you finding racial disparities manifesting because of the virus? And if so, how are you taking actions to help mitigate those disparities? Well, just so you know, my district is majority people of color, and, and we saw that this virus uh, disproportionately affected people of color yeah. because of the systemic problems like doing frontline work, public transportation, and uh, the other uh, healthcare um, disparities that currently exist. Uh, but I think we should, it, it, it goes further uh, to, for us to kind of recognize that uh, COVID only shined a light right. on the lack of health care that is provided within our community. Right. It shines a light on it. And because it shines that light, uh, we found out and we saw and we're see- we saw and we're now continuously see that African Americans are the ones who are affected. People are in my district who are who are being affected from it. These same people who no longer have work now, 
Now they don't have health insurance. Right. So now they are utilizing our emergency rooms as a way to get checkups. Right. But now they don't have a way to get follow-up because they don't have a doctor. So this is the, uh, the domino effect that we're dealing with when Florida has not expanded Medicaid. And this is what we do. We, this is what we're dealing with. We have sent all of these dollars back to the federal government. And currently now, Florida could use that money because we're spending more money now because people are using the emergency rooms as doctor's offices than anything. Yeah. Uh, and so the smart thing for us to do would be for us to expand Medicaid so we can ensure that we have healthy communities because clearly I think it's, it has been said and we can continue to see it that COVID is not going anywhere for a long period of time. And if, uh, if not, not just Florida, but across the country, yeah. if we don't begin to mitigate how we're going to begin to save lives, black and brown people are going to die. Yeah. And do you feel like you have hope that like for, it's certainly not the first time, but it feels like for the first time for a lot of people in government and a lot of leaders, they're actually seeing that this light was shined on the disparities in healthcare, you know, between people of color and others. And so I wonder like whether you think that maybe after, if COVID ever leaves, after that happens, whether you think that, you know, our government will take a different approach to healthcare disparities, or do you think it's just going to go back to the same thing? Yeah, not under this leadership. Yeah. Unfortunately, my Republican colleagues, um, they, one, many of them don't see COVID as being real. So let's let's start there. Wow. Yeah, they they don't they they see they see it as a hoax. So you can't oh convince people who think something is a joke to take it serious. Yeah. And finally, is there any advice you'd like to give to other YEOs at this time? Yeah, I, I would. My advice to YEO members is to look at this crisis as an opportunity mm-hmm. to show your uh, constituents that your your seat at the table. It's not a wasted seat. This is your opportunity to show your constituents that what you elected me to do, I'm doing it. I'm here. I'm really fighting for you during this time. I know it's hard, but if I can, whatever burden I can take off of you, I can allow allow me to do it. That's what we, or why your members should be doing um, during this time. I think uh, we will all have a incredibly different budgets than we thought we would, mm. uh, especially across this country. Uh, so what, what does the hierarchy of needs look like now? Uh, where, where, we, where we can uh, where we can move money. Uh, and it's, it's really just us being able to, to take a deep dive and look at how are things going to look after this. And I think we need to begin to work our way backwards and begin to tell ourselves what is the best way we can do this. We look at the best way I can serve my constituents at this moment and this time during these unfortunate circumstances. Use it as an opportunity. Well, we really appreciate your insights, Chev. Take care. Now we'd like to turn over the podcast to our membership associate, Michelle, for her segment of the podcast, focusing on membership updates, advice, etc. Michelle? This month on our membership corner we're talking about how to survive life and work from home state senator matthew lesser said that constituents are starved for information so facebook live tell a town hall if you can send out e-blasts etc 
State Representative Chevron Jones said his tip would to be to set your day up in time blocks so you don't get distracted. Also, give yourself time for a break. School board member Ebony Satterfield said, Lose the expectation that you will be 100% productive during your entire workday. How many times do you visit coworkers or take walk out around the facilities during your workday in the office? Coworkers aren't around, but it is absolutely okay to take a break and clean off your bookshelf or watch clothes. She said to create working hours, but allow for flexibility. For a highly productive day, celebrate yourself by sticking to your hard stop time and spend the evening catering to you. The kitchen is off limits outside of your normal eating times and meals and to be comfortable. Bill's trustee, not fine, had some po- pointers to adopt or foster a pet, especially an older one. Cats and rabbits especially need time to get to know people. If you're unsure you want a pet, fostering is a great test run. He said to listen to something different. He does a lot of calling to different agencies and can't have a radio in the background, but does listen to Bach, Mozart, and other classical music during the workday. He also likes D&D streams like Critical Role or MCDM. Start writing something. It can be terrible just to start engaging with your creative side. He finds that writing helps him to wind down and declutter his mind. And uh, he said to pray. His spiritual life is important to him and prayer makes him feel closer to God. Gracie Torres said that she tries to be more forgiving to herself when things don't get done as quickly or efficiently as if it were at work. And Marita Garrett said, as an entrepreneur, in addition to being a mayor, she's been working from home office for a while and suggests for folks to create a schedule and allow for breaks. Sitting at a PC for over five hours isn't fruitful. She also encouraged uh, us to still get dressed. It always makes her feel better when she still gets out of her pajamas to her desk. You have a separate day from night somehow. Well, that's it for our membership corner for this month. And if you have any suggestions for what you'd like to hear from our membership corner next month, you can feel free to email me, our membership associate, Michelle Landry, at mlandry at pfa.org. Well, YEOs, that's it for this month's edition of We the Young People. We hope you enjoyed and were able to gain some insight and inspiration from it. If you have ideas for topics, policies you'd like to share, need policy-related assistance, or just want to reach out, please don't hesitate to email me at abird at pfaw.org. Talk to you next month. Thanks for listening.